When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome in, everybody, to episode 228 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Great show today. I should mention right off the top, I'm actually recording early on Wednesday. I generally like to do my recording on Wednesday night, but I have something coming up on Wednesday night that I have to be at, and I cannot record the show on the normal schedule. So if something crazy happens... If Coach K announces his retirement, or if Coach K announces he has to get another surgery because Duke just lost another game, that may have to wait till the next episode. Although I will admit, if Duke, uh, if if Coach K announces his retirement, I will probably figure out a way to get back and record. But uh, so probably nothing from Wednesday night slate. But it remains a great show, headlined by what I believe is one of the best guests that you can get in college basketball, Jimmy. Dykes will join me momentarily. Jimmy Dykes, of course, from ESPN. He actually came on this show at this time last year. He is an incredible guest, an incredible source of basketball knowledge. I only had about 10, 12 minutes with him. It's obviously an insanely busy time of year. I recorded with him right before the Kentucky-Texas A&M game, and he and I did talk a lot about the Kentucky Wildcats. We talked about some of the teams maybe a little bit off the radar that could potentially compete for a national championship. Some of these bubble teams in the SEC where do they stack up? Now, I will say it does, we did have a conversation a little bit about the University of Arkansas. Of course, it was before Arkansas's game on Wednesday against Tennessee. Don't know if Arkansas won. Don't know if Arkansas lost. And certainly, we didn't know about that before Coach Dykes joins me. Before we get to Jimmy Dykes, a couple things that happened this week in college basketball, specifically Tuesday night. A couple big topics out of Tuesday. One, don't know if you saw... Your boys, Duke, the Duke Blue Devils, did in fact lose on Tuesday night. Uh, We'll get into their loss. Are there big picture concerns? And I kind of think now we are starting to get to a point where there are big picture concerns with Duke. So I will touch on that. I will also touch on Emmanuel quickly, University of Kentucky. He again balled out on Tuesday night against Texas A&M. And I think he is one of the coolest stories that we have seen in college basketball. I wrote about it at Kentucky Sports Radio recently. And it is just an incredible story, and I'm fired up to tell you a little bit about what I know about Emmanuel quickly. Um, You know, I sent out some tweets that made some headlines in terms of schools reaching out, trying to get him to transfer. That is 100% true. So I'll tell you what I know and also what just makes him such a special kid and, and what I believe to be one of the great stories of the John Calipari era. Uh, After that, this is what we're going to do. I don't generally do look-ahead stuff, but with the way that this 
podcast recording goes down, okay? So the, the schedule of this podcast recording is that we do the podcast every Sunday night and every Wednesday night. And so because of it, I don't get a ton of chances to talk Pac-12 basketball. And so the last topic on today's show, before we get to Jimmy Dykes, I'm just going to give a quick shout out to UCLA and the UCLA Bruins because I think that Mick Cronin, I think you can legitimately argue, is doing as good of a coaching job as anybody in college basketball this year. And that might sound crazy because right now UCLA isn't even on the bubble, but this was a team that at one point was eight and nine. At one point, they lost to North Carolina without Cole Anthony at the CBS Sports Classic, where I'm sure a lot of you were actually in attendance for that. They have done a complete 180, and it's not because the Pac-12 is bad. It's because UCLA is playing really good. And so I do want to give UCLA a quick shout-out before we get to Jimmy Dykes. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to download this show. So go to the Podcast Addict app, hit subscribe, and make sure you're following this show. It's going to be a fun couple months for this show as we go into March and then of course early April. Also make sure to rate and review the show. So many good ratings coming in including this one from CDB1969. He said good college hoops pod always a fun listening experience. Aaron brings knowledge and a sense of humor to every episode. Thank you CDB1969. I almost said CBD but Thank you, CDB. We appreciate your support of this show, and we appreciate everybody that takes the time to check in. Also, make sure to follow on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. It is a fun feed. Everybody who follows me enjoys me there. And I would add one more thing as well before we get to the meat of today's show. And that one thing is very simply this, is that as we approach March, Obviously, look, we have our regular sponsors of this show. We have uh, Blue Chew has been a great advocate of this show. A few other ones as well. Um, But we are looking for sponsors for March Madness. So if you are interested, if you are a small business owner, if you work for a small business that wants to literally reach thousands of people and potentially hundreds of thousands of people a week, let me know. Email me at Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast or uh, Aaron, excuse me. Email me Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com or hit me up on Instagram. Hit me up on Twitter if you're interested, because here's the deal. This show reaches thousands of people every week. However, we also post everything about this show on the website KentuckySportsRadio.com, which most of you know what KSR is, but it is a behemoth. I call it... Um, you know, the barstool sports of college sports, what Matt Jones and his crew have done there is unbelievable. And KSR reaches literally hundreds of thousands of people every single day. If you want to reach that kind of audience, let me know. We can get a sponsorship on this podcast. Obviously, I'll read about your company, what you do, all that stuff. So email me, Aaron Torres, podcast questions at gmail.com. Also, feel free to DM me on Twitter if that's the best way. But if you are interested in reading that kind of audience, affordable prices, all that stuff, just let me know. Aaron Torres, uh, podcastquestions at gmail.com. All right. No more time to waste. Let's get into the week that was in college basketball. And again, as I mentioned, Jimmy Dykes will be joining me momentarily. Before we get to Jimmy Dykes, though, I want to talk about the big stories from Monday and Tuesday. And there is probably no bigger story than... Your Duke Blue Devils losing again. Not sure if you saw, 
They went to Wake Forest. Wake Forest was 14th in the 15-team ACC. Duke was like a 7 or 8-point favorite. And they lost outright in double overtime to Wake Forest. Now, in the small picture, this is not a big deal. Duke has had a very good season. Duke beat Kansas, which is potentially the number one team in the country. Duke won at Michigan State. Duke has a lot of good wins on their resume. They beat Florida State at home. So, in the big picture of Duke trying to get a number two seed, Duke trying to position themselves to have success, this loss is not that big of a deal. But following the loss, besides the fact that I got a million great tweets, people saying that this loss will help Duke move up in the net rankings, this loss will help Duke move up in the AP poll, they're, they're going to go up to number one with this loss. Besides all the incredible commentary that I got about Duke, I got to ask you, are we sure Duke's that good? Like, are we sure that Duke is that good? And I know that this sounds like one of those, oh, here comes hot take Torres, typical Torres, waits for Duke to go down, waits for some team to go down, and of course he's going to go rip them. Duke's 23-5. and five. They're tied for second place with Louisville in the ACC. By the way, shout out to a friend of the Torres podcast, Leonard Hamilton, Florida State currently in first place. But a lot of you are just going to say, oh, this is typical hot take Torres coming in. Oh, Duke, Duke is no good. Torres, how is Torres going to say Duke is no good? I'm not saying they're not good. But I do think we're getting to that point this time of year where when we talk about all these teams, we do have to talk about what are their weaknesses and can those weaknesses be exposed? Because we know that Duke is one of the two or three programs in college basketball, maybe four or five, where national championship, being in the national championship conversation is part of the deal at Duke. Just like it's part of the deal at North Carolina, though certainly not this year, or Kentucky, or Kansas, or Louisville. These are programs that expect to be at the top of the sport. And I think Duke is really good. I'm just not sold that when we're comparing them to Kansas, or Gonzaga, or Baylor, that right now they are on that same level. And so let me spit out some facts. And as always... I'm not going to tell you what you should think, but I'm going to let you decipher the facts and determine, is Duke really as good as we think they are, or are we starting to see a trend here where maybe they're a little bit overrated, maybe they're not quite as much of a home run national championship contender as we think. So for starters, Duke lost on Tuesday night against Wake Forest on the road. That now makes two out of three losses in their last three games. So they lost at Wake Forest, they lost at NC State. So their last two road games, they've lost. If you want to extrapolate out, they have now lost three. Well, I take that back. Of their last, they lost their last two road games. Their two road games before that was the UNC game where they needed two buzzer beaters to beat the worst UNC team maybe in school history. And the game before that was at Boston College where they trailed at halftime. So in the last four ACC games, they have either lost or trailed at halftime in all four of them. If you want to extrapolate it out even further, they played Syracuse at the Dome before that. Good win. But before that, they played at Clemson and lost. So if you're going back the last six ACC road games for Duke, they are 3-3 three and three overall, one of them, they needed a double buzzer beater to beat the worst North Carolina team in school history. And the other one, they trailed Boston College, who is terrible, at the half before rallying to win. 
And so you're now talking about what I think is a pretty good sample size. Basically, half of the ACC road schedule. They're, they, they just haven't been very good. They just haven't been very good on the road in ACC play basically all season. Let's add, this is not a particularly good ACC. And when I say not a particularly good ACC, what I really mean is this is the worst the ACC has been in my life. I have talked about it time and time again, so I'm not going to get into it. But we are looking at very realistically with NC State losing on Tuesday night to North Carolina, we are very realistically looking at four NCAA tournament teams from the ACC. Florida State, Louisville, Duke, Virginia. By the way, I should add, the two teams that are kind of on Duke's level in the ACC, Florida State and Louisville, they got both those teams at home, and they don't have to play either of them on the road. So in a year where the ACC is already down, they don't play the other two best teams on the road, and in road games, in their last six road games, they are 3-3, three and three, needed a double buzzer beater to beat North Carolina, and oh, by the way, trail Boston College at halftime. Now, does that sound like a team? Like, think about Baylor. Like, think about Baylor. Baylor won 24 straight games. They won at Texas Tech. They won at Kansas. They won against everybody they've played everywhere until they lost to Kansas by three the other night. Meanwhile, Duke can't beat Wake Forest on the road. Baylor comes out and crushes bad teams. Gonzaga, I know we want to criticize them because they don't play anybody. Well, guess what? They're going to have three tournament bids in the WCC. Gonzaga comes out and crushes bad teams. And I know the bad teams in the ACC aren't comparing comparing to the bad teams in, in, in Gonzaga's conference. But there's something to be said about playing a team that you know you're better than and destroying them. And that's, for the most part, what Gonzaga has done this year. That's, for the most part, what Kansas has done, what Baylor has done, what San Diego State, although they're struggling, has done. And I'm just not sure that Duke is on the level with those teams. Beyond that, and this is the part that has to worry Duke fans, look at the final scores of these games. Wake Forest wins 113-101 in double overtime. Okay, it happens. Here's the bigger issue. The score was 79-79 at the end of regulation. First of all, 79 is a little bit of a high number for college basketball. It's not really high. But they gave it they Duke gave up 34 points in two overtime periods. They allowed Wake Forest to shoot 50% from the game. This after, I might add, they gave up 88 points at NC State the other day. After they gave up 96 points to the worst North Carolina team in school history a week ago. So basically, we're talking about the last three road games. 96 points to North Carolina, 88 to NC State, 113 to Wake, 79 in regulation. Those are are three teams that are not in the NCAA tournament, mind you. That's a lot of points to bad teams. And say what you want. You talk about national championship contenders. That's not what Baylor's doing. That's not what Kansas is doing. Even That's not what Kentucky is doing. That's not what um, Seton Hall is doing. Villanova is doing. These teams that are we talk about as national championship contenders. Now, I'm not going to tear down Duke. They're 23-5. and five. I get that. But again, when we're talking about national championship contenders, we need to nitpick. And I'm not sure Duke is very good defensively. The stats say it. And my eyeballs say it. And I'll give somebody credit for this. My buddy Rob Douster, who's been on this show many times, NBC Sports, he's been saying this since October. He's been saying, Duke's got all the tools offensively. 
But you look at defense, look at their guys. Who on that team would you consider to be an elite defender besides Trey Jones? Trey Jones is really good. But once you get past Trey Jones, Vernon Carey can't stay out of foul trouble. He's fouled out of two of the last three games that they've lost. Well, excuse me. He fouled out against Wake Forest. He fouled out against North Carolina. Matthew Hurt, great three-point shooter. He couldn't defend me out there. I wasn't even that good. I mean, I was okay. I wasn't that good. But Wendell Moore is a good athlete, but he's coming back from injury. And so I bring all this up because I just think that when you're looking at this Duke team, I think we have to look at them and say they are an incredibly flawed team. And it's not just because they lost games, because teams lose games sometimes. Baylor just lost the other day. I came out of the Baylor game feeling better about Baylor than I, came out, than I went into the game. Because Baylor lost a game where they went 8 for 15 from the foul line. Their second leading scorer was hurt. And they still almost beat Kansas at home. But Duke losing on the road to Wake Forest and NC State and giving up 96 at North Carolina? That's got to be cause for concern. And so, I, again, it just comes back down to this isn't me trying to be hot take Torres, but, but, but like you have to think about this in the context of the season. We, Selection Sunday is two weeks away, and somebody on one of those shows is going to pick Duke to go to the Final Four, pick Duke to win a national championship. And I think that we now have a good enough sample size. Like I said, the last six road games for Duke, three and three overall. One, they won in double overtime, which is North Carolina. And, of course, the other one which was Boston College, they trailed at halftime. And I know the Duke fan would say, well, you know, listen, we make one more shot in regulation against Wake Forest, we win in overtime, you're not having this conversation. I'm just saying, you get Duke away from Cameron Indoor, they're a completely different team. Now, to their credit, they're crushing everybody at Cameron Indoor, but I don't know if you know this, even as favorable as the committee is to Duke, they don't get to play games at Cameron Indoor in the NCAA tournament. And so I think as we get further and further into the season, closer and closer to Selection Sunday. We're now two and a half weeks away. I think this conversation is something we have to have. I just don't think Duke is very good, especially on the defensive end. All right, I do want to transition to probably the, the you know, we just talked Duke, which is one of the biggest brands in college basketball. How about another big brand, the University of Kentucky? I talk about, a lot about Kentucky on the show. This is a KSR podcast, Kentucky Sports Radio. But the reason I want to talk about the University of Kentucky, they won again on Tuesday night. And it's not about Texas A&M. I'm not going to sit here and break down a Kentucky-Texas A&M game. I do think that Buzz Williams, I know I mentioned it with Mick Cronin earlier, I think you can make a legitimate case. Buzz Williams is doing about as good of a coaching job as anybody in college basketball. He has eight SEC wins. He's 14-13 and 13 overall, 8-7 and seven in the SEC Texas A&M, which returned nobody off a team that was terrible last year, has more SEC wins than Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Ole Miss, who made the tournament last year, et cetera, et cetera. But we're not here to talk about Texas A&M. We're here to talk about the University of Kentucky. But even University of Kentucky, I'm not going to talk about it because I don't know that I learned anything about Kentucky on Tuesday night that I didn't already know, except for one thing which is very simply this. If you don't think that Emmanuel quickly very well could be SEC Player of the Year, you haven't been paying attention. And I'm a guy that like literally three weeks ago was like, well, it's a two-horse race between Nick Richards from Kentucky and Mason Jones from Arkansas. No disrespect to Nick Richards, who's been phenomenal, and no disrespect to Mason Jones, but as I record this podcast, 
Arkansas is 5-9 in SEC play, has a chance to go 6-9 on Wednesday night. I know Arkansas has had injuries. This isn't a criticism of Arkansas. But it's hard for me to give a, a SEC Player of the Year award to a guy that is on a team that does not have a winning record in league play. That could change. Arkansas could finish 9-9 nine nine if they win out. But right now, as great as Mason Jones has been, I do think that Emmanuel Quickly is the leader in the clubhouse. And I think what's cool about this is not that Emmanuel Quickly could potentially win SEC Player of the Year, but I do think that it is his story. And I think it's his story that's getting lost in the shuffle, right? Kentucky has had so many incredible players through the years and so many guys that have emerged as a season has come on, right? We all think about the one-and-done, can't-miss guys. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Car- uh, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, De'Aaron Fox, Bam Adebayo who just made his first all-star team. What I think we forget about is the guys that aren't those guys, that emerge as the season goes on. And we've seen some great examples of that the last couple years. Last season, it was P.J. Washington. He was awesome. He wasn't awesome in November and December, but he figured it out. Tyler Hero, I use this example all the time. Tyler Hero wasn't very good the first month, month and a half of the season in college basketball. By the end of the year, he's a bucket. He's making and taking the biggest shots for Kentucky on the way to the Elite Eight, probably good enough to win a national championship last year. But anyway, enough about those guys, because Emmanuel Quickly, to me, is one of the great stories. And listen, I I don't want to oversell this story, because we have to remember, Emmanuel Quickly was a McDonald's All-American. He was a top 20 recruit coming out of high school. But as we always say, some guys are on a different timetable than others. My buddy Fran Fraschilla, a good friend of mine, never been on this show, hard to track down, busy man, but he always says this. He says, guys have to run their own race. And for Emmanuel Quickly, his race wasn't the same as Tyler Heroes. It wasn't the same as De'Aaron Fox. It wasn't the same as Bam Adebayo or John Wall or DeMarcus Cousins. But that also makes it cool. This is a guy that, first of all, never forget, and this is what I love about him, and I'm going to get into all of the things that he has overcome during his time at the University of Kentucky. First of all, remember that he committed as a true point guard, okay? Committed as a true point guard. This despite the fact that Kentucky had two guys on the roster the year ahead of him who were point guards, Quade Green and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Didn't run from the competition, didn't run from fear, didn't go to the easy route, instead chose the University of Kentucky. Now, as it turns out, Shea Gilgis-Alexander was better than anybody could have anticipated. He ends up going pro, Quade Green ends up transferring, but even before quickly got to campus, they signed another point guard in Ashton Hagens, and they signed another point, they got a commitment from Tyrese Maxey, and people forget, but there was a small window of time where there was talk about Tyrese Maxey reclassifying and coming to school last year. Now, he didn't, but there was that conversation, but I only bring all this up to say that even before Emmanuel quickly got to campus, I don't want to say the deck was stacked against him. He was a McDonald's All-American, but, but he was going to face challenges. And then last year, let's be honest, he didn't really do all that much. He averaged five points a game in 18 minutes a game. I went, I went back and looked up the stats on, on Wednesday afternoon. He had 11 games where he did not make a field goal last season for Kentucky, including one where he didn't even attempt a field goal at the University of Tennessee. And he struggled. He averaged five a game. And even kind of in the offseason, we're talking about 
Ashton Hagens is coming back, former top 10 recruit and, you know, maybe could have been drafted last year and who knows. We're talking about EJ Montgomery and all these guys that are going to make a leap and nobody talked about Emmanuel quickly. And what I will say is this, I kind of created a little bit of a news cycle. I'll give myself a little bit of credit. When I tweeted something out on Tuesday night after Emmanuel quickly had a great game against Texas A&M, 30 points, eight three-pointers. What I said was this. I essentially said, like, this was a kid that last year could have left after he struggled as a freshman at the University of Kentucky. There were multiple schools that reached out to him and his camp to try and convince him to leave Kentucky to come play for them. And it created headlines because people said, whoa, whoa, whoa. well, that's tampering. You can't reach out to a player. Well, I'm just going to tell you guys, I'm going to take you behind the curtain a little bit. This stuff happens all the time. It happens at every level of college basketball in every way imaginable, right? So you have the great players at the University of Kentucky or Duke or Kansas or whatever. They're one and done after the first year. They're gone, right? But what ends up happening is the guys sitting behind them, like in Emmanuel quickly last year, there are schools that reach out to their people and they say, hey, I'm not officially recruiting your guy because that's an NCAA violation, but if he is unhappy at Kentucky... If he wants to play, I just want you to know our school would love to have him. Maybe he comes here, he sits out for a year, he chills out, and he's a star. It, by the way, I should mention, for a Kentucky fan furious that people are tampering with their players, it happens at every level. So if you're a mid-major coach, and this is why I actually genuinely feel bad for mid-major coaches, and it's something that John Calipari actually addressed a few weeks ago when the, the transfer rules potentially changed. But if you're a mid-major coach, if you're coaching it, let's just say... Long Beach State. I'll just use them as an example. I don't know anybody there, but they're 15 miles from where I live. If you're at Long Beach State and you have a dude that averages 19 a game as a sophomore, you better believe, because I know coaches that this has happened to, you better believe there are schools at the high major and kind of that high mid-major, maybe an A-10 or a Mountain West school, reaching out to those kids and saying, hey, by the way, we're just saying, you're balling out down there. Why don't you come play for us? more TV games, more exposure, you'll play against better competition. So this happens everywhere. So I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been with the number of people that said to me, well, dude, you know if uh, you know if they're reaching out to players, that's tampering. Yeah, no crap, it's tampering. And it happens way too often in this sport. And again, it goes back to what I was saying with John Calipari, which was that John Calipari basically said, if we're going to change this transfer rule where players don't have to sit out, then we need to make sure that the tampering rules increase because what's going to end up happening is some team is going to play Long Beach State or Eastern Kentucky or Central Connecticut or whoever, and some dude's going to go off for 22 points, and an assistant coach is going to grab that guy in the layup line and say, hey, you know, we're, we're going to have a spot at your position next year. You should come with us. You won't even have to sit out. And so that's why John Calipari was saying that if, if we change the transfer rules, make sure we, we change the tampering rules too, where if a coach gets caught doing it, they're automatically fired. And I agree with him. But back to Emmanuel quickly. There were, from people that I've talked to that would know, multiple schools that reached out to Emmanuel quickly. Many of them very simply said like, look, we're not recruiting him, but if he were to be interested in leaving, we would love to have him. Then there were, of course, some schools, and I'm telling you this as a fact, I know this as a fact, that there were people that reached out to Emmanuel Quickly's people and said, listen, let's be honest. Let's all, let's all have a, a grown, grown adult conversation here. That kid is not good enough to play at Kentucky. And with Ashton Hagens coming back and Tyrese Maxey coming in, 
Why doesn't he transfer over to where we are? This is a better fit for him. And to the credit of Emmanuel quickly, I don't even know how much got back to him. But what I do know is schools reached out and he never even considered it. And the reason he never even considered it from people again who would know is that he basically said when he committed to Kentucky, he was committing to Kentucky for all the reasons that he said after the Texas A&M game, by the way. That it's about playing at the highest level. That it's about playing against the best competition. That it's about proving that I can play with anybody in college basketball because I want to play in the NBA. And the only way for me to get to the highest level, if I can compete and I can succeed at the level of Kentucky, then guess what? I'll be ready for the NBA. And so my understanding is he never seriously considered leaving, never even considered it at all. And for this kid to come back and do what he is doing is unbelievable. And I'm telling you right now, If the season ended today, I do think that he is the SEC player of the year, and I'll tell you why. He's been the best player in SEC play on the best team in the SEC. But it's beyond that. I mean, first of all, his numbers are insane. Numbers are insane. He's averaging 19 a game in SEC play. That's obviously by far the most on Kentucky. He is averaging 49% shooting from three, which is insane, 49%. Oh, by the way, he's shooting 91% from the foul line. He scored in double figures in every SEC game. As a matter of fact, I looked this up, kind of a fun fact. The last game that Emmanuel quickly did not score in double figures was the Ohio State game. Obviously, the next game was Louisville. He started this double-figure scoring streak, and he's never looked back. But this guy has been the best player on the best team. But the reason that I think he's the SEC player of the year is this. Is this guy takes and makes the biggest shots for this team that, is in, that has, as, a, as I speak right now, a two-game lead in the SEC. He takes and makes the biggest shots for this team. This is a guy that had a career-high 26 points against Florida a few weeks ago, or a few days ago against South Carolina. Against, against Florida a few days ago, career-high 26 points, took massive shots. Um, then, tops it, by hitting eight threes against Texas A&M on Tuesday night. And so I just look at this kid, and I think that this kid is one of the best stories in this sport and at Kentucky in the John Calipari era. Because, again, I said it earlier, people want to compare this to what P.J. Washington did did last season or what other guys have done at other times. P.J. Washington averaged 11 points per game as a freshman in 2018. He was better last year, but it wasn't as though you couldn't see it coming with P.J. Washington. I, for one, certainly did because I tweeted about it when he decided to come back. But Emmanuel, quickly, not only could you not have seen this coming, I'll take it a step further. You couldn't have even seen this coming three months ago. He didn't even start for Kentucky to begin the year. And now this guy's the best player in the SEC. And so I bring all this up because I think that this is one of the great stories of the Calipari era. This kid's development, this kid's emergence, this kid's refusal, his absolute refusal to let others dictate his path. He has earned everything he's gotten. And as I said, right now, he is, in my opinion, the SEC player of the year. All right, lastly, so shout out to Emmanuel quickly. I got to move on. Because i got to get going here. i got a thing to do tonight. Lastly, we might as well just call this show Blue Blood Wednesday. Because I talked about Duke. I talked about Kentucky. And now, 
How about those UCLA Bruins? And like I said, I don't do a ton of preview stuff during basketball season on this show, just because usually there's so much to react to that I like. I don't need to do preview stuff. This isn't a daily show. I don't need to look ahead. Uh, but with the way that I do this show, I record on Sunday, and when I record on Sunday, everybody has played in the last two days. So naturally, I'm going to default to the teams that you know draw the most interest, right? Uh, Duke. Kentucky, Louisville, uh, this year it's Kansas, this year it's Gonzaga, whatever. So because of that, I rarely talk Pac-12, and then I rarely talk Pac-12 on Wednesday because they play all their games on Thursday. And so I really haven't done the UCLA conversation. I really haven't talked a ton of Pac-12, period, but I haven't done the UCLA conversation just because the way that the, the schedule of this podcast works, it doesn't really ever make sense. And so I don't do a ton of preview stuff, but I want to quickly not really preview UCLA, Arizona State on Thursday night, which, by the way, is on Pac-12 Network, so you're not even going to be able to watch anyway. But I mostly just want to give uh, UCLA their props and give a shout-out to my guy, Mick Cronin. And I'll say this. I've been a little bit critical of Mick Cronin through the years. During his time at Cincinnati, You know, some of his teams underachieved. But I think you can legitimately make a case that, as I said off the top, Mick Cronin is doing as good of a job coaching as anybody in college basketball this year. And I know that sounds preposterous, right? Because, again, we have Scott Drew at Baylor. We have Brian Dutcher at San Diego State. We have John Calipari completely flipping Kentucky over. And UCLA right now is only 17-11. and 11, And they are probably not going to make the NCAA tournament. I don't even think they're really on the bubble at this point. I think they could be by the end of this weekend because they play Arizona State and Arizona at home, which are two really good teams. If they win both, they'll be 19-11. and 11. I think they'll be squarely on the bubble. But I don't think that UCLA needs to make the NCAA tournament for us to have a conversation about them and for us to say that Mick Cronin is doing one of the best coaching jobs in college basketball simply from where he started to where he is now. And I'm going to get to where he started in a minute, but first I want to give you some context. UCLA enters the Arizona State game at 17-11, and 10-5 in the Pac-12. Arizona State is 10-4 and in the Pac-12. So basically, Arizona State has a half a game lead over UCLA in the Pac-12. That means if UCLA wins Thursday, they will be tied for first place in the Pac-12. And don't tell me the Pac-12 is bad, because this year it's actually pretty good. Oregon's really good. Colorado's actually probably better than most people realize. Arizona State is good. Arizona is good. And UCLA has a chance to be in first place because they have won nine of their last 11 games. At one point, they were eight and nine overall, and they are now 17 and 11. And that includes a win at Arizona, and it includes a sweep of Colorado, which is going to be about a four, five, six seed in the NCAA tournament. But that's not what makes it incredible. What makes it incredible is where Mick Cronin started. And it goes back to a topic that I discussed on this show previously. (laughs) I've discussed it a few times, really, since Steve Alford got to to Nevada. But Steve Alford left UCLA in a very tough place. And this is part of why I was so critical when Steve Alford was hired at Nevada. Because I think he's a good person. I think he's a good guy. I think he's had success at other stops. But when Nevada hired him, they made him sound like he was the second coming of Coach K, when in reality, he totally crashed and burned at UCLA. Now, I get 
he made three Sweet 16s in six years, but we have to be honest about that. He had one great year with Lonzo Ball, TJ Leaf, Aaron Holiday, Isaac Hamilton, Bryce Alford, his son, and then every other year was kind of eh. You know, his last, his first two years, he inherited a ton of talent. One year, they were okay. Another year, they were like an 11 seed and got to the Sweet 16. So, like, like let's not pump the brake. Let's pump the brakes on the Steve Alford hype. But really, once Lonzo left, the last two years, the team has been very good. They lost uh, in the first four in 2018. And then last year, they obviously missed the NCAA tournament. And Steve Alford got fired. And this is what Mick Cronin walked into. He walked into a program with a lot of guys who had a lot of recruiting hype but had not accomplished anything in college basketball. And when I look at what what Steve Alford left, he left a lot of talent. But it wasn't talent that accomplished anything. And then on top of that, their three best players left after last season. Chris Wilkes, who was a wing, Jalen Hands, who was a point guard, and Moses Brown. And so what Mick Cronin inherited was a bunch of mismatched parts. He has two guys down low, Cody Riley and Jalen Hill, who aren't real. They're just kind of grinder, banger kind of guys. They're not like particularly skilled big guys. He got a freshman, Jaime Jaquez, who's like a top 100 recruit, but he's kind of a wing player that isn't crazy athletic. He got Chris Smith, who never did anything substantial. He had Tiger Campbell. His point guard is coming off an ACL surgery, didn't play at all last year. And he has taken that group, and he has questioned their toughness, questioned their heart, and turned them into... He's completely flipped them. And I just think this guy deserves so much credit. Because this was a group that didn't know how to win at the college level, didn't know how to compete at the college level, and now is winning a ton of big games. And it goes back to what I was saying a minute ago. It's the program that he inherited. As I said when Steve Alford got fired, UCLA had a reputation for recruiting really well, but one, not developing, and two, they were a little bit soft. They didn't want to play defense, they didn't want to get physical, they didn't want to get tough, and Mick Cronin, from the beginning, has questioned their manhood, and that team is playing so much harder than they were to start the season. Like I said, they were 8-9. and nine. They lost to Cal State Fullerton. They lost to UNC without Cole Anthony at the CBS Sports Classic. A lot of people listening were probably in the building. Think about that UCLA team. Now think about the fact that they are competing for first place in the Pac-12, And I just think Mick Cronin has done such an incredible job of getting these guys to buy in, getting them to play tough, and getting them, teaching them how to win, right? Because they came to college to create a legacy at UCLA, and that largely hadn't happened. I should give the players a little bit of credit. When Mick Cronin came in, nobody transferred, nobody entered the portal, nobody did. They had a couple kids that could have grad transferred and both decided to stay. And so I just give Mick Cronin so much credit for what he has done. We will see if UCLA is able to win and beat Arizona State and get in first place. But it is incredible where he has this team. All right, so I think that's it for uh, my part of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Coming up, Jimmy Dykes, ESPN. Um, Jimmy Dykes is incredible. We only got about 10, 12 minutes, but I promise you uh, it's worth it. And he says he wants to come back. So when Jimmy Dykes is ready to come back, I will have him back, and we will get ready to go. But that is all for my part of this show. I want to remind everybody – Please make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Tour Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Uh, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure to listen to this show. Also, make sure to rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. Finally, well, two things. One, 
Make sure you follow Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. And finally, if you do want to sponsor the show, if you're at least interested, just reach out and email me, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com or, or hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram, and we will see if we can work something out. Even if you're just interested, just let me know and we'll see if we can work something out, especially with March Madness coming. All right, I think that is it for today's show. That is it for my segment of today's show. I am going to welcome on Jimmy Dykes from ESPN. I appreciate your guys' time today. That is all. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. I will be back this weekend. But now, here's Jimmy Dykes. All right, and joining me on the phone now, a good friend of this show. He was on around this time last year talking SEC hoops. He is back. You, of course, know him as an ESPN college basketball analyst and now author of the new book, The Film Doesn't Lie, Evaluating Your Life One Play at a Time. You can get it at CoachJimmyDykes.com. It is Jimmy Dykes. Coach, how are you doing today? Hey, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's that magical time of the year where we're bearing down on March Madness. You mentioned the, the book that I was very blessed and fortunate to have the opportunity to write, and like you said, you can order it off the website, CoachJimmyDykes.com. I think it's available in bookstores starting uh, right around the very end of February, first week of March. Okay. I think it's a book that will really, really challenge the hearts of readers to just pause and look at their life. Like we look at game film as a coach and really key areas. I think God will really speak to the hearts of any reader that picks it up. So I appreciate you mentioning it, and uh, I'm doing really, really well. So thanks again for having me. No problem. Really quick with the book. I mean, obviously, look, um, you know, it's a new new adventure for you. I, I think it's your first book that you've written. I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, pigeonhole you here as only a basketball guy. But, uh, you know, what what made you want to do this project right now? Why? Uh, you know, I know you kind of explained a little bit about what the book is about, but what made you want to do this at this point in your career? Yeah, it's, uh, I took the last two off seasons to just sit and, and, and write and you know, really, in a, in a book like that, it's a, a, I think it's a calling on my life. I really felt like God was just leading me towards getting my thoughts down, the lessons that He's taught me in my own life, and hopefully will help other people. It's a book far beyond a sports read. There's a lot of great, I think, insight and stories in there from my days at ESPN and coaching and playing and great conversations that I've had. But it really points the reader towards an authentic walk with God, which is very very real, very important in my life. I've seen the changes that the name of Jesus has made in my life, and I just wanted to share that with others, and I've gotten great feedback on it already from people that were able to pre-order it or got it shipped to them from, straight from the publisher. And uh, so It was just uh, it was something I felt like I, I, I knew I needed to do or, or, or supposed to do, and um, so I'm anxious to, anxious to hear from other readers how it's, how it's challenged them, what, what speaks to them, I, I, I can almost guarantee there'll be one, at least one thing that any reader of any age will, will take out of that book, either as life application, self-improvement, uh, but certainly a, a very direct, dialed-in um, calling to obedience in our walk with the Lord and what that should look like on a day-to-day basis. Fantastic. And the book, again, uh, is available at CoachJimmyDykes.com. The film doesn't lie, evaluating your life one play at a time. Uh, I do want to talk some hoops. I do want to talk some hoops. Um, You know, first of all, we're going to get to the SEC in a minute. 
Uh, I saw you with another buddy of mine, Fran Fraschilla, a couple days ago at Gonzaga. Um, you know, it's a, you know, you're you're kind of a guy that's that's primarily it feels like based in the southeast. I know you call games all over the country. How'd you enjoy working with Fran? And uh, it seemed like a different vibe up there at the kennel. Yeah, it was. You know, we had no play-by-play guy. It was just two analysts, um, two guys talking ball. That's kind of how we went out that night. The kennel was was fantastic. I, I'd never been to the new building, which is ten or twelve years old now. But the, the kennel was it was tremendous. The student section we had a blast with those guys before the game, uh, before the tip, dancing with them during the game, halftime, after the game. It was a great time, and uh, I think that, that that particular game had a different feel to it. We're just trying to sit there talking about our game in front of us and, and the game in general across the country and what we look forward to in March. I think Gonzaga is very deserving of their top four or five ranking, whatever they're going to be, um, as we as we head down the stretch line into March. I know they lost to BYU, but offensively they are the real deal. And and the team they got beat by Saturday at BYU is offensively as good as any team out there. So uh, I, it was uh, yeah it was a, it was a it was a great time uh, all the way out to the West Coast and then flew right back to do uh, North Carolina Louisville on Saturday and head to Kentucky uh, this week and then in the SEC tournament after a few more SEC games. So uh, it's it's a great time. This tournament air is just. I know we say it every year, it's wide open. It's not always wide open. Mm-hmm. But this one's wide open. Like, mm-hmm. it's wide open. And normally this time of year, we have six or eight teams that we all pretty much agree on could win the national championship. That, that number this year is is 18 to, to, to 25, depends on who you talk to. And I'm, I'm all in on that camp. There, there's 20 teams that could win it this year. I have no, no, no doubt in my mind. 20 teams, wow. See, I, I do think the number is a little bit smaller. Give us, so if if we all assume that we all agree that Baylor, Kansas, uh, whoever, Seton Hall, Villanova, those top six, seven, eight teams are all in the mix, San Diego State, Gonzaga, give us two or three that you think that maybe people aren't talking about that you do think could cut down those nets in Atlanta. Yeah, I look at a team like, uh, like, like Iowa. I mean, they're sitting there a game or two above 500 in Big Ten play. But they have, who could very well end up being the national player of the year. Mm. And that guy, Luke Garza, plays the game differently than, than anybody else out there in terms of how big he is and how hard he plays. Kansas has a, a guy, Udoka, as a bookie that's, that's different than everybody else, too. But he doesn't play at the same intensity, the, the same uh, areas on the floor like Luke Garza does um, for Iowa. So that, that, that's one team that that jumps right out there at me, you know, Mar- Marquette with a guy like uh, Marcus Howard in this year's tournament, if you have a guy that could, that at any time could go for 30 or 35, those are the kind of guys that can win you four in a row and, and, and at least get to Atlanta. And those are the kind of things that are really hard to put away. Like you're up 10 with two minutes to go and you're playing Marquette right now, you know you can't take your foot off the gas. Because Marcus Howard can get back-to-back threes and all of a sudden it's a, one or two possession game within 15 seconds. So uh, I just I don't see that that dominant team. I believe there's three teams: Kansas, Duke, and and maybe San Diego State right now that are uh, in the Ken Palm top ten both offensive and defensive efficiencies. Uh, and then there's a few more that are both in the top 20, and then there's a bunch that are all in the top 30. So I just think it sets up for chaotic. Uh, really unconventional NCAA tournament. 
Yeah. Like Dayton. Like, when, when, when the last time we talked about Dayton possibly win the whole thing? Nah. They absolutely could have the best college player in Obi Toppin on the team. I agree 100%. I do think, by the way, uh, that this season and, and the kind of the, the balance in college basketball that you just talked about, I think is also reflective of the conference that you probably know the best, the SEC. I mean, you know, I was thinking about, I, I as I said off the top, I talked to you around this time last year, and by this time, there were three teams, LSU, Tennessee, and Kentucky, that had clearly established themselves. Auburn was right behind, and I think maybe Mississippi State was probably there. Whereas this year, I feel like we basically got Kentucky at the top. And I mean, look, I know LSU and Auburn are in good shape to make this tournament, but I feel like there's like eight teams that are on the bubble right now between Florida, Bama, Arkansas, et cetera. Excuse me. Um, do you feel like uh, – is that a fair representation of the SEC right now? Because I feel like once you get past that first two or three, it is just a dogfight every single night. No, you're, you're spot on. I mean, Kentucky has – Separate themselves in my eyes from the rest of the league. They have a two-game lead with four to go. Um, but they're the best team out of the SEC right now. And then the next two, it kind of depends on the night. I mean, LSU can be had. Auburn can be had. Florida can be had. I mean, all those teams are capable of losing really to anyone else in that league. Um, but the bubble picture for the SEC, that league could get as few as three teams in the NCAA tournament. Or it could be as many as seven, and that still be determined with four games to go in the regular season. That's what's going to make that tournament in Nashville really uh, impactful urgency for teams like Florida, Alabama, Arkansas, South Carolina. I'm probably forgetting another one, but man, those teams are just Mississippi State. They're all right there on Joe Lenardi or anybody's bracket projections. There's three or four teams that are in the first four or next four out, and that's going to tell you from 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 the opening tip in Nashville, uh, you you better be ready to play because you have a chance to play your way in or seal up your fate and head to the NIT. Any reason to think uh, you know you mentioned about twenty ish teams that you think can legitimately get to Atlanta win the national championship? I'm guessing there's no reason to not include Kentucky in that grouping of eighteen to twenty or whatever you feel like that number is. Yeah, and I think they're right there. You know, they they only make about five three-point shots per game, which is a low number, but they shoot 35, 36%. So they're not taking a lot. They're not missing a lot. They're, they're a two-point percentage team, a heavy free-throw team, and a really terrific defensive team. And their guard play is as good as anybody's out there for those three kids that they they have that play a lot of major minutes. So John Calipari now has you in a little bit of a bind and how you're going to guard them. And Nick Richards, right now, either Nick Richards or Emmanuel Quickly would be the SEC Player of the Year. Richards, no no one has improved more than Nick Richards this year from where he began the year. And that's that, that, they're, they're a real final four threat. And I say there's 20 teams that could win it because I think there's 20 teams that could get to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And we all know once you're there, it, it's it, it, it's just a coin toss, man. You could you, Auburn could have won the thing last year. Mm-hmm. They... they they were ready set to advance, and the last tenth of a second foul of a three-point shooter kept them out of that championship game. So uh, that's why I think the numbers where it's at. But certainly Kentucky is in that group of 20. A couple quick questions. We'll get you out of here. Uh, one of those bubble teams, and I, I know this is kind of a, a, a weird 
uh, way, but, but like I look at Arkansas, right? And they're so fascinating to me. I know you're, I believe, based out of Arkansas. You previously coached there, but struggled uh, in the middle of SEC play. But of course, they lost Isaiah Joe, and Isaiah Joe was their second leading scorer. He comes back. They win on Saturday against Missouri. Um, how much do you think all of that factors in when we look at Arkansas? Because they clear, they clearly appear to be a different team with Isaiah Joe versus without him. Yeah, that was a you know, it was a big loss there for I don't know what four or five games about Isaiah Joe because he's as good a shooter as there is in the college game right now. I'm not gonna say he's the best shooter because we don't have to line them all up in a horse game at some point to figure that out. But I know he's one of the best. And so that section committee there they, they know what they're doing. They look at that resume and they, they see that with Isaiah Joe, without a, Isaiah Joe. The fact that Arkansas won in preseason or non conference play at Indiana, at Georgia Tech. There's, there's some there's some weight still in those wins. So now it's up to Arkansas. What, what are they going to do with a healthy Isaiah Joe now going forward? Um, two, two weeks ago, it didn't look like they were going to be an NCAA tournament team. Now with Isaiah Joe back, can they win out and maybe win two or three games in the SEC tournament and be right back on the, on the cutting edge? Absolutely they can. And if they do, that's a team that can win a game or two because of their unique style, how they play, they constantly, Arkansas, they constantly have you in a mismatch playing small ball like they do. And Eric Musselman has done a really a, an, an outstanding job in his first year in the SEC. That's going to be an interesting vote as well, the SEC Coach of the Year, because you, know, you can look at, uh, I, I look at uh, John, John Calipari in terms of where his team was back in November, losing to Evansville, and where they are now with all those young players and new players and transfers and how he's coached them through the year to this point, I can make a really strong case for him. I can make a case for uh, Buzz Williams, a Texas mm -hmm. who was picked, I believe, 12th in the league. He's sitting right there, you know, above 500 right now, has a chance to finish as high as 4th in the league. So that's a, there's a lot of votes, uh, interesting votes this year within conferences for conference part of the year. And the national part of the year rate is still crazy loose to be this late in the year and for our and for all of us not to say it's down to these two kids, it's not. It's down to five or six kids or maybe more. Absolutely. Coach Jimmy Dykes, uh, I would ask you, I really wanted to ask about the Jet, but you got another call coming in. Uh, we will save it for another time. The book is called, uh, I actually lost it, The Film Doesn't Lie, Evaluating Your Life One Play at a Time. Coach, I know you got to run. I know you got another call coming in. Thank you so much. I genuinely appreciate it, uh, and I hope to catch up somewhere along the way. Yeah, and to send your um, listeners to that, to that website, CoachJimmyDykes.com, because they're giving away a free trip Ooh. to the Final Four. Okay. And you don't even have to buy the book. But if you buy the book, then obviously you get more, your name's in the drawing uh, at a greater rate. But uh, I, I, I appreciate you having me on. Let's talk again when that bracket comes out. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you, Coach. I appreciate that. And again, the website is CoachJimmyDykes.com. Coach, again, we appreciate the time. Okay, bud. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today 
at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.